This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It can be as risky as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The U.S. Surgeon General is warning about the dangers of loneliness. And he was charismatic, compelling, and lots of fun. Mr. Mindbomb tells the story of Greenpeace co-founder Bob Hunter. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Vermont has become the first U.S. state to change its medically-assisted dying law to allow terminally ill people from out of state to take advantage of it to end their lives. Republican Governor Phil Scott this week signed the bill that removes the residency requirement from the decades-old law. Last year in a court settlement, Oregon agreed to stop enforcing its residency requirement, and it also agreed to ask the legislature to remove it from the law. The ability to speak two languages may improve memory later in life. A new study involving older patients adds to two decades of work that suggests bilingualism protects against dementia, and cognitive decline. German researchers found that those who reported using two languages daily from a young age scored higher on tests of memory and language than patients who spoke only one language. Dutch residents are the most physically active on Earth, getting 12.8 hours of exercise each week. That's double the average of 6.1 hours across 29 countries, including Canada. People from Germany and Romania are the next most active with around 11 hours of exercise per week. And at the other end of the scale, Brazilians are the least physically active, spending only three hours a week doing exercise. Almost half of Canadians reported that they didn't use all of their vacation days last year, and more than half say they feel deprived of vacation time. A new report by Expedia found 62% of working adults felt vacation-deprived compared to last year's 58%. This is the highest it's been in a decade. In fact, 9 out of 10 Canadians feel regular vacations are a basic right. People in Ontario and B.C. reported the highest levels of vacation deprivation at 62%. Globally, Mexicans were most likely to report that they were lacking in vacation time. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The U.S. Surgeon General is calling it a public health crisis. Dr. Vivek Murthy released a new Surgeon General advisory calling attention to the dangers of loneliness isolation, and lack of connection. Even before the pandemic, about half of American adults reported 
experiencing measurable levels of loneliness, which can increase the risk of disease and death. The situation is likely the same here in Canada. I talked with Dr. Nancy Newell, Associate Professor in the Department of Psychology at Brandon University. The report tells us that even before COVID-19 pandemic, um, there were signs that um, people, I mean, it's focused on the U.S., but um, it's similar to here in Canada, that people were becoming uh, more lonely, more disconnected. And as I mentioned, like the COVID pandemic only served to um, sort of um, emphasize that more and exacerbate that more. Some of the numbers uh, are pretty staggering. It says increases premature death by almost 30%, increases the risk of stroke and heart disease, and is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The lead uh, scientific researcher on the report is Dr. Holt Ludstead. She came out with a a paper a number of years ago that compared um, the impacts of various things on our mortality and compared uh, social isolation and loneliness with things like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. She compared it to other known um, uh, risk factors to mortality, like our physical activity and our obesity levels, and found that it was comparable, if not more, a risk factor to our mortality. How do you compare something like loneliness to a number of cigarettes? She took... Um, hundreds of papers that were looking at the relationship between our social relationships and mortality. Um, and so in that research, we basically, um, we collaborate, like we accumulate a bunch of research papers and see what the general results are suggesting based on hundreds of studies. Um, within that paper, she then took a comparison, um, um, and, and basically compared the, the risk um, of being lonely or being isolated to our mortality and compared the risk that other studies would have shown to things like um, smoking or um, obesity. Um, so looking at the risk uh, of those um, different factors or behaviors. When I saw Surgeon General, I immediately thought of those warnings, but this is right. this is not something that can be dealt with by a warning. I wouldn't even know where you'd begin to warn uh, beyond what he's already done. This is another call and it's from a, you know, a person who has a, has a large voice. Um, another call to show that our social um, connections are as important to our health. Um, so it's that other um, aspect to to looking at our health and well-being and just emphasizing the importance of social connection. Um, Even if you're feeling lonely, um, continuing to connect with other people, um, whether that's just finding something that you enjoy doing that's in a social environment or even there's interesting research around talking to strangers, you know, that that connection we had that we really lost during COVID-19 of just being on the bus or being at the bank and talking to people, and and this is just showing that these kinds of connections are really important for health and well-being. I was talking to some GPs, and uh, a GP was telling me that she is meeting with her patients, and the ones who were introverts loved COVID because they didn't have to go out, and she's trying to coax them to go out because uh, it's bad for you even if you're an introvert and you like it. Is that the case? If we are experiencing disconnection 
um, isolation or, or loneliness, this can start to actually make us uh, less uh, desiring contact. Um, there's interesting literature on uh, loneliness, which suggests that if you're chronically lonely, um, that over time you actually look at your relationships a little bit more negatively and you're kind of more just hyper-vigilant to the social, your social environment. And that can actually lead, unfortunately, um, to a to kind of socially withdrawing and saying, well, I don't, I don't really want to be around people. I don't need people, which can, for some people, lead to, to more um, loneliness. So I think coming out of the, the pandemic and some of the restrictions that we had, I think, I think it's an important area to continue to, to keep in our, in our head that, that by having been, you know, isolated and potentially more lonely than we would normally be over the last couple of years, this can actually change the way that we think. Is there a shame around being lonely? I think there's absolutely a stigma, um, a shame around being lonely. I think these reports possibly help the conversations, though. Like, I think that it might make people be able to talk about it a little bit more easily. But um, I think there still is um, that stigma and shame around it, unfortunately. People think that it's their fault. And, um, you know, the report talked about the social environment, which I think is really important, where sometimes we're creating social environments that are actually just really difficult to connect with other people. What do we do about this? Creating communities where you can walk, access to parks, uh, public spaces, libraries, places like that. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of on a societal level um, what we can do. Dr. Nancy Newell, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye. That was loneliness expert Dr. Nancy Newell. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, he was a legend, a founder of Greenpeace, and a friend and former colleague at City TV. A new book looks at the life of the late, great Bob Hunter. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Bob tended to uplift you. Uh, he was great fun and he was an enlivening kind of a guy to be around, which is one good reason to be with someone, but he also left you aspiring to do something more important, more noble. And uh, and that's how he got me into his web and how I offered up what I thought was an important part of his approach to media and media expansion. That's Zoomer Media founder Moses Neimer talking about the late, great Bob Hunter. He was a co-founder of Greenpeace, of the environmental movement as a whole, really. He was our friend and colleague for years at City TV. His widow, Bobby Hunter, edited a new book about his extraordinary life, Mr. Mindbomb, A Life in Stories. Why is it called Mr. Mindbomb? He came up with uh, this uh, term, Mindbomb, because he was a, a real student of media. And he understood that if you got an image into the media, that uh, people would then see it and believe it. Saying something was one thing, but seeing an image was a whole other thing, and it stuck with you, resonated. Um, it's the same as today. 
thing, you know, things going quickly onto the social media and becoming viral. What made you decide to undertake this? This is uh, a life in stories about the late, great Bob Hunter, who was uh, the best storyteller of them all. <laughs> he, he certainly was. I um, took this on literally because of COVID. It's a positive because of COVID. Um, we were all locked away. And uh, our family, through Zooming each other, someone said, we should all have projects. And I said, I know what I'm going to do. And I said, I was going to get one of Bob's unpublished books published. And I did that. And I did a vanity self-publishing, and it's called Long Way to the Horizon. When I was done with that, I was so excited about uh, putting books out that I said, you know, I'm going to do another one. I'm going to do a book about Bob. He never had the time to do his own book. And um, everybody looked at me and said, how are you going to do that? And I went, I'm going to ask everybody, you know, their stories. He told so many stories and people have stories about him. And I'm just going to get the whole arc of his life and put it together. And it came together like magic. It's just a testament to uh, Bob and his um, fabulous personality. Uh, people loved him and they have not forgotten him. It's 18 years ago that he left us. One of the stories that really sticks in my mind that Bob told was when somebody came to your door canvassing uh, Greenpeace memberships. And uh, Bob said, hold on a minute. And he went back and he found his original card with membership number 0000 and yours, which was uh, 00. Zero seven. What what happened then? Well, well, the guy looked at these and he says, "Oh my!" He says, "I can get you something a lot newer than that." Yeah, it's expired, buddy. <laughs> it's expired. He had no sense of the history at all. This was at the core of Bob's life. Well, yes, Greenpeace was um, really the the um, the history making moment. Um, I mean. He's been gone for 18 years, and, and the more I reflect on, on his life and his accomplishments, I, you know, I really think that Bob was the, sort of the beginning of the environmental movement in Canada. Um, when we started the Greenpeace, there was no such thing as the word even ecology. There was no environmental studies in universities. Um, and we put together this, these campaigns where we went out in the middle of the ocean and jumped on zodiacs and raced in front of harpoons and said, stop killing whales, like kill us before you're going to kill this whale and took pictures of it all. Uh, it was, it was environmental, nonviolent activism that had never been heard of before. And once that got in the media and that the mind bomb is getting an imagery like that into the media into the media uh the the environmental movement took off from there is there a single iconic image that you would name as the one absolutely i mean the very first uh time that the boat went out in out to the uh off the California coast, well, well, well off the California coast, Bob and George Crofa were inside a, a small Zodiac racing in front of the whale boat, and they didn't uh, uh, stop. They actually went forward and 
shot the harpoon at the whale and nearly, you know, uh, cut Bob in half. This imagery was uh, was picked up by a camera, our cameraman, and we raced it back to San Francisco. It went on the news all over uh, the states. Walter Cronkite had it on his uh, program, and that was it. Once that image got out there, it, the whole the whole thing became a different story. And what what year was that? That was in 1975. My image of Bob is. Bob uh, standing in a natural setting somewhere with his pant legs rolled up, holding a circa 1982 cell phone (laughs) (laughs) and communicating Uh, with us. And he was the only person, he was the only one that had one of those. I know he always wanted to be ahead of the curve. I mean, Libby, he he had a, the first cell phone was the size of a small suitcase. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're dating ourselves, but there you go. What do you think Bob would make of where the environmental movement is at today? You know, Bob always made everything, uh, look for the positives and everything, you know. I mean, it's a whole different way of doing it. It's certainly not following the model, you know, that that Bob set out um, in North America. In Europe, it's it's seeming to go be going through a new, a new wave, which is more like the activism that we were involved in with Extinction Rebellion. Um, they're 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 coming up with hijinks that are really irritating. Uh, yeah, crazy gluing themselves to to uh, priceless paintings and all of that, and they're, they're and they're getting a lot of attention. And that was the whole point of a mind bomb is like. Make people um, notice. At be, they can be angry. If, if that doesn't matter. The point being, what the end result is, is that they want people to understand that we've, we've got to change our ways. Bobby Hunter, thanks so much and so good to see you again after all this time. It was wonderful to see you as well. That was Bobby Hunter, widow of Greenpeace co-founder Bob Hunter and editor of a new book on his life. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.